The following program is a proud member of the Palaver family of podcasts. Check out all the shows over at palaver.com. That's P-A-L-A-V-R.com. Hello, my name's Patrick, and I'm a Scream Queen. I'm a Scream Queen, and so are you! <laughs> Hello again, my beautiful screamers, and welcome to another episode of Scream Queens, the podcast where horror gets banned. This is episode 53, and tonight it is time to fluff your dirty pillows, because we're going to the prom, because this episode is all Carrie, all the time. I'm going to be joined by a very special guest, one of my best friends in the entire world, the amazing Mr. Owen Robertson, and we're going to dish every form of Carrie that we could possibly think of. The movie, the book, the musical, the, well, you name it, we're going to do it. Well, not it. No, we're not going to do that. Ew, we're not those kind of friends. You're disgusting. And I love it. Why don't you just kick back for a while in your prayer closet? This show's getting started right after this. Hammer Film Productions began in 1934. And after producing almost 200 films and television programs, the studio is still releasing and re-releasing new and classic film titles. 1951 Downplace is the podcast that brings you the story of the great Hammer films, one movie at a time. Here are your hosts describing what Hammer means to them. First is Casey. Hammer means the beautiful and glamorous women of Hammer Horror, the engaging storytelling, and amazing period films. Joining him is Derek. Hammer means the incredible work of actors like Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, and even Michael Ripper. The gothic storytelling, the incredible music, and the set pieces. And finally, here's Scott. Hammer, that's vodka and orange juice. This boy has a lot to learn. Join our hosts as they make their journey through the Hammer Films catalogue and discuss each film with critical opinion, historical facts, production notes, and other information about these classic films. 1951 Downplace can be found in iTunes or their website, www.1951downplace.com. Wait, that's a screwdriver. 1951 Downplace, the home of Hammer Films discussion. Happy Leap Year to you, my beautiful screamers, and welcome to another episode of Scream Queens. It's delightful, as always, to have you here beside me and to be all up in your ear holes. So, what's been going on since last time? A whole heck of a lot, but unfortunately, I can't tell you about it. Well, I can, but just let, let, we'll get to that in a minute. First of all, I just want to let you know that if you're hearing a lot of... Well, it's our first cold day here in New York for a while, you know, on this last day of February. So, you know, some of you might remember, our apartment has... So it could be a little noisy. And I just wanted to let you know that if you're hearing a lot of banging and clanging and clinking and clonking, that it's not anything wrong with your iPod, there's nothing wrong with your system, it's just me and my... So just relax, sit back, and enjoy the... As much as I enjoy overusing that soundbite. Anyway, uh, the other thing... See, I can't even form a sentence today because I started on my CPAP machine last week, about 10 days ago. Now, some of you who have new listeners may not know that, you know, I got diagnosed with sleep apnea that's being caused by my uh, deviated septum. 
and I'm on a CPAP machine until I can have the surgery done in April. And a CPAP machine is one of those things you put over your face at night and it goes, it basically blows air up your nose so that you can breathe better, therefore you can sleep better. Except mine doesn't work. God damn it, it's set too high. So, you know, my ears feel like they're going to blow out. And since I've been on it, I've been kind of sleeping better, but I've also been really exhausted all the time and kind of foggy. It's this weird kind of tired. So I keep forgetting things and I keep losing things. So the other night when I was on the subway, I wrote down my list of all the great funny things that happened over the last two weeks to talk about with you here and the segment on the show. And now I can't find it anywhere. Nowhere. So either I left it somewhere, which is totally possible, or it's just sitting somewhere really obvious, like right in front of me, and I'm not seeing it. But regardless, I can't talk about what I wanted to talk about, so I had to find other things to talk about. It's all been very stressful. Seriously, this has all been very stressful, considering the fact that I am still smoke-free. Yay! Yay, I have completed the seven-week uh, smoke quit program at the Gay and Lesbian Center here in New York, and I'm very proud. I'm very proud. I'm still on the patches. I got another two and a half weeks on those, and I will be off all of the products, and that will be fun and exciting, but still, my temper gets a little like, some of you remember last time. I forgot to put my patch on for a day, and uh, we're all just lucky that there wasn't a bludgeoning spree here in New York City. And we're still lucky, goddammit. Because I can't forget. Okay, this is the thing. Here's the thing. I lost the car last week. Not once. Twice. I lost an automobile. Twice. No, yeah, it's New York City. It's But I live in Queens. And um, I do have a car, but I normally keep it out of my parents because parking can be a bitch. But we've been using it to do some shopping in Ikea and shit like that. And moving some larger items. So I've needed it here with me. And it's not so bad here in Queens, because normally in the city you have this alternate side of the street parking thing. You know, every day you have to go out and move your car to the other side of the street to keep for street cleaning. Here in Queens, it's only once a week. So on Thursday or Friday, I have to go out and move the car to the other side of the street. Well, last week, I forgot. Well, I, not that I got a ticket, but I, I went out later than I normally go. So as a result, all the parking spaces on the other side of the street, where I normally park here by my building... We're taken. So I had to drive all around the neighborhood, up and down, up and down, looking for some place to park. Last I drive around for two hours. But I found a spot on the other side of the boulevard where we live. And, you know, I don't really know it that well over there, but I know it well enough. The streets are numbered. How hard could it be to find the car? Well, about three days later, it just suddenly hit me. I'm like, I, I don't really recall where I parked. I know I parked on the other side of the boulevard somewhere, and there are flat lines. And so there's one night, I, it was the final night of Smoke Quit. It's going to bug me. I have to go find the car. So I literally have to go across the street, you know, the, to, the, uh, to the other side of the boulevard and walk up and down the streets, going up and down the streets. And then I turn around, go to the next one and go up and down the street all the time with my little, uh, you know, the alarm thing on my key ring, and I'm going click, 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 hoping I'll hear a noise, like chirp, chirp, and be like, there you are, my darling, but instead I'm just walking around going, I can't my car, I can't find my car, click, 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 and of course it's raining, and it's cold, and the problem is, every time I go up and back, it puts me right in front of the gas station where I used to buy my cigarettes, and God, I kept saying, I don't want one, but in about five more blocks, I'm going to want one, because these are New York City blocks, they're long, but I finally found the car, moved it to the other side of the street, 
and I think all is well until it actually is the day where I have to move the car. And I realized I spent so much time walking up and down the blocks that I didn't remember where I parked it. Again, could have been by the house. Could have been on the other side of the boulevard. And so now Mr. Bradford and I have to form a search party. Because then we're walking up and down the blocks. Up and down the blocks. On both sides of the boulevard. It was so stupid. Because of this thing. Thank you so much, medical science. But I'm having it, uh, I'm taking it back in to get it tweaked tomorrow, get the uh, pressure changed, and hopefully I'll be less retarded. But not that much less retarded, because then we won't have a show, now will we? Anyway, what else is there to talk about? Oh, so on Monday night, I got to sing with a, a select member of the uh, Gay Men's Chorus at this glittering fundraising event for the chorus called Harmony. And it was held at Christie's, the, you know, the world-famous auction house here in uh, Manhattan, and it was amazing. We got to sing uh, four numbers, one of which with Frenchie Davis, you know, from American Idol fame, and she was in Rent for four years, and she's won a Grammy, and she's this amazing, bald woman of blackness with this great big voice and a big sweetheart, and it was really great. You know, I looked awesome. Some of you have seen the pictures. You know, the, the theme was pink and black, and I actually just happened to have this outrageously pink jacket in my closet. For what reason, I will not say, but let me tell you this. Uh, I have never actually worn it in the 10 plus years that I've owned it, and it made quite a hit. What was funny, though, that all the other people that I was singing with, the other 9, 10 people that I was singing with, they all wore black and pink, not pink and black. So they were all wearing, you know, black jackets with pink shirts and ties or whatever, and then there's me like, BAM! Pink jacket! And I said to the choral director, uh, should I find something else to wear just when we sing? Because I feel like I'm staying. He's like, oh, no, darling, no. You go out there and be as pink as you can be. All right, you don't have to tell me twice. Everybody thought I was the lead singer. I'm like, why didn't he ever sing? I thought he was the lead singer. I'm like, I'm so awesome. I don't even have to be on stage when I sing. So I don't even know what I'm trying to say. Fuck y'all. I'm tired. Well, the thing about this event that was funny at the same time was that this is Christie's. This place is like a museum. Like, there were no tables set up anywhere. I thought, I thought it was going to be more like a banquet. Like, there you would go, and you would sit down, because we were told there was going to be food in open bar. I clearly misread the whole thing, because sure, there was open bar, but there was nibbles. There were nibbles. I was expecting a meal, so I have not eaten much. And now, the first thing they do when you get there is, like, force drinks down your throat. Why? Because it's an auction, and drunk people will spend more money at an auction. Ah, uh, isn't, that, isn't that cute? I'm, okay, I'm not there five minutes. I haven't even had a cocktail yet, and I almost knocked over this Tiffany lamp that was sitting next to the, the nibbles table. And I looked at the price tag, and I'm like, oh, shit, I almost broke this. How much would I would have owed? The thing is worth $750,000. And I'm like, what? Open bar and nearly priceless antiques set out for everybody to knock over. And why the fuck would you put one of the most expensive things in the entire building next to the fucking nibbles table which is going to have the most traffic with the most drunks just begging to be knocked over unless maybe that's the idea get somebody to knock it over so they have to fork over seven hundred fifty thousand dollars i'm on to you christies i see right through you fuck you so open bar hundreds of drunk people and a room full of incredibly fragile incredibly expensive items they don't go well together. Not in my head. No way. No how. So I'm extremely nervous the entire night. And plus, the, the way this place is set up, it's not really set up for a function like this. You know, my dressing room was all the way on the third floor. And it had these crisscrosses staircases, and everything looks the same. So it was really easy to get disoriented. 
So every time I had to go to the dressing room, I kept opening random doors because I'd get up there and be like, I don't even know which corner our damn dressing room is supposed to be in because all the doors look the same. And it's really, like I said, it, it was like the Blair Witch Project is what I'm saying. And I kept waiting for it to open a door and have an alarm go off. Whoop, 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 or open the door and find out the, the room, which I am not supposed to enter the room with the dark secret of Christie's. But that didn't happen because that would have at least have been interesting. I felt really bad about it because I'm like, this is my CPAP fucking me again. I'm all dizzy and stuff and drunk. But <laughs> until I kept running into Frenchie Davis, our star herself, she'd be like, where the fuck is the goddamn restroom? I'm like, I don't know. And we'd be walking around like Hansel and Gretel huddling together in the forest. Like, who is this it? Is this it? Ah! Waiting for the monster to pop out behind the door. But it was a memorable memory. A memorable memory. Well said, Patrick. God damn it. I did want to say the highlight of the evening for me, aside from getting to sing Seasons of Love with Frenchie Davis, was getting to see our sister group, the Youth Pride Chorus, which is, of course, uh, what it sounds like. It is a group of gay and lesbian, transgender, bisexual teens, or um, you know, people under 22, who come together as a singing group. And I've never seen them perform before, and they were amazing. And it wasn't just like, oh, look at the kids being cute. I'm like, no, 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 no. These kids were amazing. And just to hear where a lot of them were, you know, personally and psychologically and, you know, before they started singing with the group and how it's helped them, it's really, really powerful stuff. So I was talking to this girl, Rebecca, beforehand, who was amazing. She had pink hair and she was the coolest thing ever. And um, she was telling me her story and how she was, you know, really negative and virtually homeless and just um, no really vision of the future at all until she joined the chorus and, you know, she found a home and she found herself. And I was like, Ugh. And then they started singing and they sang Hair, Lady Gaga's Hair. And I'm like, yeah, you fight kids, you fight to be as free as that hair. And then they sang, they sang no day for, they sang no day but today from Rent. There's only now, there's only this, forget regret, or life is yours to miss that. And I'm just like, ah, crying, crying. So I'm the guy in the loud pink jacket and the sunglasses on his seventh daiquiri, crying like a fool. Telling the youth pride chorus how wonderful they are. I was that guy. You know what? You kids are so lucky. You're, you're so lucky that you have an organization like this. You're so great. You're kids, you're just, you're so inspiring. You're so lucky, you kids. And you're up there and you're, you're like singing and stuff. And yeah. I was the creepy guy. So, yeah, okay, well, I'm making the world a creepier place, but that just wasn't intentional that time. But, you know, hey, whatever works. You paid $175 to get in. This is the kind of entertainment you're going to get. And I'm not talking about the chorus. I'm talking about me making a jackass of myself. And you get it every two weeks for free. How do you like them apples? Oh, yeah, and hey, Rebecca from the Youth Pride Chorus with the awesome pink hair, one tenacious little lady who was able to turn her life around, I got one thing to say to you. You! <laughs> Oh, the Scream Queen of the Week. Congratulations, congratulations, congratulations. No tiara for you. Oh, wipe that shocked look off your face. You kids are already so lucky. You want my tiara too? Over my dead body. So just a couple more things before we get the show started, because it is a long show. we got a lot of fun stuff to get to. But um, some of you might remember that for Christmas I bought myself a Roomba. You know, those little robot vacuums. And, you know, the cats were fascinated for a while, but they've grown bored with it. You know, they were terrified of it. They didn't know whether to kill it, uh, try to eat it, try to hump it, or, you know, put it under their hypnotic sway. 
But now they've grown tired with it. But still, every time it's running, just to let you into my private torture that I set up for myself, whenever it's running, I have music in my head. I always have music in my head, but this is what's always in my head. I bought a Roomba. I bought a Roomba. I bought it for the living room. Yeah, thank you. Bananarama, thank you. No, thank you. No, no, no. Thank you. I was speaking to the cats. As you know, as I've said before, they're fat. And I've been trying to get them to exercise. And I've been watching that show, My Cat from Hell, which if you don't know, this it's kind of like the dog whisperer, but for cats. And this guy comes in and he helps people with their problem cats. And he keeps recommending this problem called the bird. Not the bird. The bird. And it's basically a bunch of feathers on the end of a string. And he's got a you know, little stick and you wave it around and they chase it. But it's like crack because just the way the feathers move and actually the sound it makes when it flies does look like a bird. It looks and sounds like a bird. And they go nuts for it. And as a result, we have this new fascination with birds. You know, Now we're always in the window looking out for birds. And the other day, I'm sleeping. And the cats are in bed with me. And all of a sudden, I felt a disturbance in the force. And all of a sudden, I felt tension in my... In the, in, I felt tension in the pussy that was in my arms. And... I open my eyes and I see that they're both fixated on the window, you know, like mm, trying to <laughs> the laser beans, trying to shoot laser beans through their eyes, out their eyes, through the windows. And I see that there's a uh, pigeon sitting on top of the air conditioning unit in the window, just sitting there. Coo, 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 coo. And now I'm sta- now I'm tense because I'm like this is going to end really interestingly, and it did because both cats decided to go for the pigeon at the exact same time. They both just launched themselves in like giant leaps, like Burr! and it all of a sudden went into slow motion, like these black furry arcs of lightning, like shing, going right for the window, but just before getting to the window, intersecting with each other and colliding midair into this big tumble of fur and. Claws and tail and falling slowly to the floor and the explosion of whatever. I just thought I was going to die. I'm like, that was the best thing that has ever happened in the entire world. That's the way to start the day. Uh, you can probably hear in my voice that I'm already getting tired of talking. So I'm going to wrap this up pretty quickly. Although I did just have one little bit of business I wanted to take care of before we get into the show proper. Now, I saw one of my... Screamers out there, one of you listening out there in the dark, uh, put out a cry for help on Facebook earlier in the week. And, and this guy, he was very far away from me, all the way across the oceans. And he's been going through, from, going through some stuff lately. He's, he's, had, he's been under a lot of stress. And he made a really simple request of one thing that would make him feel better. And I heard you, buddy. I heard you. So, Woody, this is for you. Soft kitty, warm kitty, little ball of fur. Happy kitty, sleepy kitty, purr, purr, purr. Now grow up, you weeping minge, and go do some fucking work. Lord almighty. So, it's the Carrie episode, y'all. You've been waiting for it, I've been waiting for it, and it's we've got a whole lot of stuff lined up for you tonight. Actually, we have one big chunk of stuff lined up, because um, I finally got to sit down on this show with the elusive Owen Robertson. Yeah, I know, he's finally on the show. Can you believe it? 
He's not my alter ego that goes out on Saturday nights and, and I don't know, doesn't tip waiters. I don't know what I'm saying. But my, um, but my sit down with Owen runs the good part of an hour and we cover a lot of the bases and I figure that's good enough. I also was planning on uh, having a sit down with David Sarah, who wrote uh, an alternate Carrie musical called Scary that ran in Chicago that was, that's really funny that my friend worked on. The thing with Owen goes on for so long in a good way, that I figured, that's enough. That's enough carry for one show, and I'm going to bump David Sarah and his crew to next week so they can get the t- attention that they deserve because I bought their cast recording off of Amazon, and I think it's a pisser, and certain parts of it are even better than the Broadway musical score. Anyway, and before we delve into Carrie, you now some of you keep asking, why? Why is Carrie so important? And people don't realize the amount of influence Carrie has had on the world in so many, so many facets. So many facets. I mean, from henceforth, the prom is always going to be synonymous with Carrie. Carrie and prom are inevitably linked together. But even in the world of arts and entertainment, the music world, all these, a lot of people don't realize how many songs there are out there about Carrie White that are in the popular culture that maybe you didn't know were written about her. You know, there's a, Carry on my wayward son, I'll be peace when you run, is that one. And then there's, hush, hush, keep it down now, voices carry. And my personal favorite, Carrie, Indiana, Carrie, Indiana, not Louisiana. And oh, shut up. Those are the words for me. God damn it. You know what? Let's just get on with the goddamn show for Christ's sake. Stop criticizing me before I hang you up with. Oh, and just before we go, normally I would play some kind of clever segue to go into this interview with Owen. But uh, just because we lost one of my important icons this week, um, since, as many of you know, I have molded my life around the cultural morals that I learned from the Brady Bunch and the Bad Seed and, well, porn. But uh, Davy Jones from The Monkees died this week. And so for being such an integral part of my childhood, you know, by being on the Brady Bunch and for showing up for the president of your fan club and singing at her junior high school dance, for linking junior high school dances with you and the Brady Bunch for me for all of time, Davy, this is for you. You changed me. of the senior prom the Bates High School gym is alive with excitement everybody is there even Carrie White the girl no one likes 
sorry about this incident, Cassie. It's Carrie! And everyone makes fun of her. The girl who lives in that creepy house with her crazy mother. Help this any woman see the sin of her days and ways. Show her that if she had remained sinless, the curse of blood would never have come on her. The girl with the strange power. If I concentrate hard enough, I can move things. But tonight, no one will laugh at Carrie. If you don't have a date to the prom next Friday, would you like to go with me? She's with the best-looking boy in the senior class. He's trying to trick me again. She'll be voted queen of the prom. You know, I can make sure that you don't hurt Carrie White anymore. For Carrie, it will be a dream come true. For everyone else, it will be a nightmare. <coughs> Carrie. <coughs> a new film by Brian De Palma. Based on the chilling bestseller. Starring Sissy Spacek, Piper Laurie, and introducing John Travolta in his first motion picture role. If you have a taste for terror, you have a date with Carrie. So, the long-awaited Carrie episode is here. I'm sorry I couldn't get to uh, I'm sorry I couldn't get it to you last week, but it's bigger and better this week as a result. And it's so big and it's so bad that I couldn't possibly cover the movie, the sequel, the book, the musical, the Etsy products all by <laughs> myself. So sitting here with me is my dear friend and uh, songwriter, playwright, genius extraordinaire, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Mr. Owen Robertson. Hello, how are you? That was very mellow of you, Owen. <laughs> so, Owen, we have been talking about you on this show for so long. Really? Yeah. Well, I've only heard it once, but I don't always listen. <laughs> but I did hear my name come up once. Uh-huh. It's come up often, <laughs> as my listeners will tell you. They're, you become the George Glass of the show. They think I'm making you up. Oh, I'm yes. real. Uh-huh. Yeah. He's real. I'm poking him right now, really. Oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> Carrie... Carrie. Where to start? I saw Carrie when it came out because I'm a little older than you. Um, I can't. And I, I think I saw... I, I the saw, movie we're I talking I saw the about. movie first mm -hmm. before I read the book. I became a Stephen King aficionado afterwards. Mm -hmm. I mean, a really big Stephen King fan. Back when no, he had The Shining was on the bestseller... Not even on the bestsellers list. I had okay. seen Salem's Lot. I'd read, excuse me, I'd read Salem's Lot first. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if people can even understand this concept now, mm -hmm. but there was no modern vampire literature back then. What? Nothing. Really? There was dark shadows and nothing. He wrote a vampire novel that took place in the here and now and used the kind of I am legend. What if there are vampires because it would just start seeding other vampires to the point a small town would take over. Everyone huh. knows I, I was not a lot. I was not aware of that. 
I love I, that I guess book. I wouldn't be, because I just remember my grandma ma reading it to me through the bars of my crib. No, my introduction to that was the David Soul <laughs> miniseries, which is a whole other thing. <laughs> which was okay for a TV movie. We're not talking okay. about that. That's a whole anyway, other show. <laughs> yeah, okay. I could talk on about Salem's Lot, too. <laughs> no one could talk about just about anything. That's why we're friends. Right. Actually, just so you know, when we first met, um, we met at a diner. And we started talking about Buffy, and we closed the place out. Because we're both Buffy aficionados, and that's what brought us together. And this was first season Buffy, too. This was first season Buffy, so there wasn't much to talk <laughs> exactly. about. So, And it wasn't cool yet. Exactly. Well, it was, but none of you fuckers knew about it. <laughs> right. Anyway. Um, so Carrie uh, was actually my first introduction to Stephen King, and I saw the movie first because everyone was seeing the movie. It got great reviews. It it, it got Oscar nominations. I know, yeah. For the actresses. Uh Uh-huh, as well, it should have. They were amazing. exactly. Uh, So you saw it in the theaters. I saw it in the theaters. That's cool. I love that. You need to, you need to. (laughs) Am I? Yeah, you're really low. Okay. Um, I'll try to not pop my peas. Thank you. (laughs) Please, I had a guest on last time, three weeks ago, and forget it, I'm not talking about it. Sater, Sater, I am talking about you, but anyway, I'll edit all this out. Um, I always love when people because I'm usually the one who's telling the stories about seeing things first run when you don't know anything about no. what's going on and, you know, because so many people just are born into this. Like, well, of course Norman Bates is the killer. Of <laughs> exactly. Spoiler. Or, you know, Jason or all that other stuff. Everybody already knows this stuff. But when you don't know what you're <laughs> in for at all. And we're talking about the Sue Snell at Carrie's grave scene. Oh, well, which, sure. Well, I mean, everything else was kind of, you knew about what was going to happen. Everyone uh-huh. kind of talked about... The prom and everything, but in the in the Port Clinton News Herald in the tiny town mm-hmm. I grew up in, they actually put a little notice that no one will be allowed to leave the theater until the very last scene. And I thought that was very strange. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you had to see this last scene. We won't say what happens in the last scene. And actually, it was kind of a letdown after that. Oh, <laughs> what are they going to do? No, but that was – we've talked about this on the show before, that back in the day, like, movie going was a whole different right. experience because, you know, there would be one movie at one theater and they didn't necessarily kick you out when it was over. Right. You could kind of come in in the middle and exactly. you just kind of stay through until exactly. you came in before. So certain movies would come out and be like, no one will be admitted during the last five minutes of this movie theater. And I know looking at it from a modest standpoint, would be like, why would people go to the movie when it's like five minutes from being over? Because you just did it. That's right. just how – that's why hobos love the movies because they never exactly. kicked you out. Exactly. Um, yeah, I saw it on the I saw it on TV, like regular TV. Okay. It was on at like eleven o'clock at night, and I was maybe eight. Okay, and I was damaged. You were- <laughs> but I was. Well, the thing is, even though it was edited, it was ages before I saw an unedited version of it. Right. But um, I remember days later. This is days later. Like it didn't affect me at the time. It was one of those right. things that got me later, which as an adult I love. Uh huh. But I had gotten up in the middle of the night and I went to the fridge to get a drink. And right next to the fridge was, you know, a window out to the backyard. And, you know, the lights weren't on. So it was just like the dim light from the fridge light. And the way it was hitting my face, it was like from above. <laughs> and so I was reflecting like really strongly in, in the window as like this weird streaky thing. And I'm like, ah, look at Carrie. Ah! It totally freaked me out. And I did not get my drink. So. <laughs> well, stories of, of actual psychic stuff never really scared me because I was scared of monsters and ghosts. There was nothing mm-hmm. like that in Carrie. Um, telekinesis, have telekinesis, and eh, what's that? <laughs> but the hand at the end, you know, was kind of 
horror. Real horror. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There was also an extension at that time. The Exorcist had come out fairly soon before that. So yeah, a couple everything years was a girl in danger possessed by something. Mm-hmm. And they had to actually make everything, you know, give some, some kind of shock. And that's the only reason it's there. It's very effective. It actually doesn't make any sense to either what Sue's really feeling then or... Doesn't matter. No, it's doesn't great. Doesn't matter. But it doesn't make, it doesn't actually make a lot of sense. Doesn't matter. Why, the, why she dreams this. <laughs> Why not? You cannot control your dreams, Owen. That's exactly. You cannot control what right. your subconscious wants to let out. That is the moral of Carrie. Exactly. Um, why do you think it resonates so much with a gay audience? Because of the Piper Laurie is over the top and fabulous yes. in every yes. way. I mean, she really is everything she says. Because as you know, we we know that she thought she was doing a comedy when she got this. Yeah, if you don't know this, it's on the DVD in the interview with Piper Laurie. She says flat out, she said when she read the script, she thought it was so stupid that it's well, it's just got to be a comedy. So for half the movie, she's playing it as a comedy. She said she didn't realize it until they shot some scene, some big over the top scene for her, and she. Finished, and she expected everybody to laugh and applaud. And they were like, "Oh my God, Piper!" They're all in tears, and she's like. (laughs) okay, maybe my script analysis was a little off. So if you watch the movie carefully, you can kind of see when she's playing for comedy and when she's playing, just playing it straight. And it's, it's quite fun to watch. It also is because of the whole, you know, what is now known as bullying. It was known as bullying then too, but yes. now it has capital B. Yes. <laughs> and Now it's a crisis. Yes, exactly. But Carrie was a gay kid mm. who was picked on for being different, yeah. perceived to be different. Yes, she just had a gas way she, of getting back she at She was him. different, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I know, as I we gotta say, too. everyone always, uh, uh, people always like, like, if you ever had a superpower, what would it be? Almost everybody says invisibility. I'm like, uh-uh, telekinesis. <laughs> yes, exactly. There's so much havoc I would wreak with tele. Actually, I don't want it because I, rec- I remember sitting in certain situations where I was wishing I had telekinesis or I was actually <laughs> trying to telekinetically <laughs> knock somebody off a bar right. stool. Or something. It actually happened once on the PATH train, but maybe I'll tell that story oh, later. You know nice. what? I'll tell, I'll tell you now. I can edit it out. It doesn't matter. I was on the PATH train when I lived in Jersey, which was a huge mistake, mm-hmm. um, going to work at the Jekyll and Hyde Club. Yay. Yay. <laughs> um, and once, once you're under the river, you're just trapped there. It's like 20 minutes, and there's just this awful child sitting across. It's like 8.30 in the morning. There's this awful child unrestrained by parents, and he's swinging from the handrail bars. He's like, Mommy, look at me, Mommy, Mommy, I'm on the bars. And she's like, get down. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm not paying, you know, she's like, yeah, not enforcing anything. And so he's trying to swing upside down. And I'm just, all I wanted to do is sleep for 20 minutes. So no, I can't. So I'm just glaring at him going, fall, fall, fall. And I would, and then he made something really stupid. I remember I clenched my eyes up really tight. I'm like, in my head, I'm like, fall. And he did. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, oh shit! I'm sorry. So you, so you used your powers for evil. (laughs) I did. I know. I did. I know. I was like, shit. That didn't. Damn. Damn, girl. (laughs) So did you ever read the book? Though I have read the book, and I remember I was being a little confused when I first read the book. There's the style of it I wasn't expecting, and I think I was a little young when I read it. It really is a very political book. Yeah. If you think about it, um, because it's nonlinear for one thing, and as much as we get the story of what. Brian De Palma covers in the film, mm-hmm. minus 
everyone, does that people know that in the book that Carrie goes on to destroy the entire town of Chamberlain mm. yeah. after she leaves the prom on a she, on her way home to deal with her mother. Uh-huh. Um, it's based so the so half of the book is excerpts and annotations uh, from various sources how America dealt with a true supernatural happening. Mm-hmm. How it changed religions, how it how it the people who survived, how it changed them, how the government there's a whole government inquest mm. to the people who survived uh, the town massacre mm. and they're basically flown to I guess DC and we see excerpts from this mm-hmm. where at Carrie is such a ball of psychic energy she's like a um a live wire that people mm. can just know what she's thinking. That's one of my favorite parts of the book is that when they talk about it from the eyewitnesses' account, people who are nowhere nearby, miles and miles it's away, like, at that time, all of a sudden, they're like, "Oh my God, they pushed <laughs> Carrie White too far." Wait, exactly. who the fuck is Carrie White? Exactly. And you know, with all these remakes, they have never actually gone after that aspect. Of no, it. not at all. I hear um, there's a new version being. Yeah. They were talking about fucking Lindsay Lohan for it. Exactly. She looks like she's 85. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure it will not be Lindsay I'm Lohan. I'm sure it's not going to be Lindsay Lohan. I'm sure it's not going to get it. They just made a remake with Angela Bettis, and that was exactly. okay. Does she, rem- does she go and destroy the town in that I don't town? remember. I don't either. I don't remember. It was so silly. Yeah. But anyway, um, yeah. <laughs> one, of the, one, of the, one of those great moments of my life when I realized I was not alone in my carry obsession, <laughs> that it was more than just a horror thing, that it was a gay thing. I was working at a gay bar. I was at a cocktail bar. <laughs> that much was true. But <laughs> and, and I came in in a red t-shirt. One of my patrons looked at me and goes, red. <laughs> I'm on a known and a bit red. Take off that dress. We'll burn it together and pray for forgiveness. And then we wind up quoting the entire fucking movie. Because really, the whole thing is so wonderfully quotable. Did the patron ask you about your dirty pillows? Of course. That's the obvious one. (laughs) Everyone goes for the dirty pillows. But there's so many other little wonderful moments. Like, you all did a really – that was a really shitty thing. A really shitty thing. And you remember all all the best lines from that movie are from the novel. Oh, Every I, yeah, dirty pillows is right from I know that Stephen King. All I might have known would be read. That's right from mm-hmm. Stephen King. Every one of the best, her best lines. I I, I should have killed him when he put it in me. Uh, <laughs> it's all from King. <laughs> this is not Lawrence Cohen's. I it, I believe that. I believe that. I, I would like to go back and read the book now because it's right. been a long time since I read it, and I don't remember anything you're saying about it changing religions and stuff. And that's interesting. Yes. When I read it, I was too young. I was maybe like nine, and so I was confused that it wasn't the movie. Right. And I'm like, wait, what's what? happening? Ugh. And then she was fat and had pendulous ape breasts. <laughs> she did not have pendulous. She did. They were talking about, they talked in the shower scene. They were talking about her back knee and her pendulous her ape breasts. I do remember the back knee. She was like a naked ape. That was what it said. <laughs> okay, maybe I, I've revised that over time to pendulous ape tits. <laughs> But the, but the novel... Uh, no, so nobody has ever played her fat. I want to see a fat carry someday. Well, no, Lindsay Haley was chubby in the original musical. Yeah, but nobody saw that but you. <laughs> yes, so, uh, Owen is a survivor of the original production of the Broadway musical, which we'll get to, right. believe it or not. 
But anyway, the, the book was actually much more political because you find out why Sue does what she does. It isn't just because she feels guilty about Tommy. Mm-hmm. I mean, guilty about Carrie, asking Tommy to take Carrie to the prom. It's because she's a senior in high school and she sees this life of being a quote-unquote popular girl, mm-hmm. the road that leads down to um, saying yes to the crowd for the rest of her life. Yeah. How keeping the blacks out of her neighborhood, how how they could evolve. And that's part of it. The re- reason Billy goes along with Chris in the novel is, isn't just because she's hot. Mm-hmm. It's because she's rich and hot. Uh, okay. There's a term from the, do you remember the term from the novel pig blood for a pig? Yes. He does this basically to get back at the upper middle class uh, that he, okay. rep- that, that, that he thinks the prom represents. Okay. Well, I can I can see why they didn't all go into the movie because that is get, no, exactly. getting deep. Because one of the things I like about the movie, and which is why I always thought it would make a great rock opera, not a musical, a rock opera, right. is because things are so extreme. Extreme. Well, all yeah. the characters they're they're very polar, right? In a good way, like this whole yin yang thing exactly. going on. And for me, the movie has this feel of inevitability to the whole thing, mm-hmm. like this weird kind of Greek chorusy fate thing. Like every time a little event. Just chinks you a little bit closer, a little bit closer. And then, even though I know what's going to happen, right. even though I know what's going to happen, whenever she's going up right. in the slow motion to get her crown, I'm like, ah, and I'm clasping my hands under my chin. I'm like, maybe it won't happen this time. Because, you know, it's one of those weird moments. Like, it's all cruxing on this. You know, if that doesn't happen, it's a whole other movie. You right. get a Disney movie. Exactly. With, with full frontal nudity at the beginning, it's but it's a, a Disney movie. <laughs> it's a thwarted Cinderella story. Yeah, it totally is. And, it, and I, I am not ashamed to admit, I cry every time. That's <laughs> sad. It's, really, it's basically because Sissy Spacek is so good. She is The whole cast is wonderful, even and, down to the four kids. Um, it's, you know, um, John Travolta is fantastic. Um, Nancy Allen can, Nancy, give a, <laughs> Nancy Allen can talk while giving a blowjob. Exactly. <laughs> oh, Billy. Oh, Billy. Like, that was cut when I, I saw hate. that. But when I saw it the first time, I'm like, how is she doing that? That's amazing. That's right. <laughs> What? <laughs> what? <laughs> but this is just the emotions. Even though it's just high school, are always at this extreme level. Exactly. Like you're out of the prom, Harkinson. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> she can't do this to me. She can't do this. She can't do this. But we all stick together. Shut up, Chris. Shut up. Just shut up. And this the cast is so wonderful. Yeah. Like everybody. Even Amy Irving? Play, Amy Irving and her hair. That's that just from correct. Well, not her. It's it's what's his name's hair. It's even the, better. The two of them. I'm picturing them together, like like doing it after the prom, just like the big like <laughs> hairball. Looking like that care what are they called? The hair the, the hair the bunch of bears and cartoons from the seventies, oh, right. the hair scare they, bunch. Yes, like that's that. right. That's right. <laughs> it was kind of like that. No, but he's good too. He actually invests the character Tommy with a little quirkiness. He yeah. isn't just like this high school jock. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's really a great cast. Now, I know a lot of people bitch about some of the things in it, and I understand some. Like, people hate when they're dancing. Oh, that song. I love that song. Not the song. Well, the song. <laughs> I love that song. I love the soundtrack. And you're going to play it during the of podcast. Of course, I'm playing it right now. Because my friend Ken. I never that someone like me. Could love someone like me. My... No, I'm my two. Oh, was it? Gay, wait, actually, two actually, of my gay actually, you know what? That was when she was sitting down with the coach. The other one was young girl. You were born to dance, born to share romance. 
you, well, you, you know Ken and Mike. You know. That, of course, I know Ken and Mike. That was their, they got married. They this was before New York got, and that was their song. Well, Ken is obsessed I with that, that song. I love that. You know, if you know who we're talking about, but believe me, it's perfect. It's perfect. Oh my gosh, that is amazing. But people hate that scene because of the camera work. Because, oh my god, it's so, because it keeps revolving around them and it gets like, it, it, I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, I'm going to throw up. <laughs> I'm going to throw up. But now as an adult, I'm like, don't you get it? It's Carrie. It's just had her head. It's the whirlwind of everything. It's also exciting. And it's just like, <laughs> it's also much. It's, <laughs> she's going to pass out at any moment. Oh. Really? I didn't get that. <laughs> the scene I can't stand is the fast forward scene in the tuck shop. Oh, I what? love that scene. Though. I hate that scene. Oh, I think that is the most, because it's the most real. It's just this, the, a moment of reality before the evil that starts. That is fine. No, that is fine. It's just the far, far it carry, the fast we, forward. But, but I love the fast forward parts. Where she put, where she keeps putting on different kinds of lipstick. <laughs> I love that. Okay. Because it makes her real to me. Okay. She and that's goes, what but she, she goes in Keystone Cup. Yeah, they do that. Yeah, I don't like that part. But aside from that, I love beak, it. And the beak gets that. Um, the beak. I love his name. I love that. The beak. He gets the t-shirt. He gets the t-shirt. You knew exactly Of course I do. We've known each other for too long. Oh, my God in heaven. But anyway, as a result, I thought it would make, I thought it would make a great rock opera. So when I heard in high school that they were making Carrie the Musical and it was coming to Broadway, I was like, this is going to be amazing. And it wasn't. No. Owen was there, so you take it away for a bit. Okay, well, I... Uh... Full disclosure, the you know I write musical theater. That's <gasps> Wait, let me try that again. <clears throat> no, that wasn't good. Forget it. I'm all <laughs> I'm too dry. That wasn't gay at all. I wasn't gay at all. <laughs> so, no, I'm too hoarse. <laughs> but I got uh, my uncle and aunt for Christmas one year gave me a whole bunch of cast albums because I had borrowed their Camelot album for a I was an actor first and they were doing it at the local community theater and I refused to give it back to them so they said hmm he likes this again I don't know why I was gay yeah. but I was too young I don't understand why gay people like musicals I have no I idea I don't know but it it's happened genetic. to me it happened <laughs> to me I loved this Camelot cast album more than I can say so they got me like 11 cast albums including a little night music mm-hmm. um because that's a fun one. All right. <laughs> and I fell in love with the Sondheim's wordplay, uh-huh. in, which I think is is probably the best lyrics. And I could not, I actually couldn't believe how great it was. I didn't even know exactly what some of those words meant, but I know they connected <laughs> and interrhymed, and I just had to try it. Mm-hmm. And I'd always been fairly good at poetry. I have a, I have a mind where that seeks the rhyme easily. Mm-hmm. So I go. So so I, I was. Anybody want a peanut? <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> anyway, I th- I wanted to. I said I have to try this. Mm-hmm. I have to write a musical. I have okay. to write. So, what what has a chorus? What has people I would know? Oh, that's I right. Was, you told me this. I, I forgot. 16, please, this, I, was, I was wondering why the point of this was. So please continue. This has very valid points. <laughs> I was sixteen years old, and I said something I know that has chorus members. So I thought, how about Stephen King's Carrie? So literally, when I was sixteen years old, and this was nineteen seventy nine. <laughs> I, I started writing a musical version of Carrie myself. I didn't write music, but I made up tunes and sang them into a little tape recorder. <laughs> so, so, 
And you know, I I worked on it a little bit through all through college. I never finished it. I never even wrote a book to it. I just uh-huh. wrote a bunch of songs. <laughs> I came to New York, and I remember reading in Playbill the kind that you got at the at the newsstand. Yeah. That they used to have that they were making a musical version of Carrie, and it depressed me all day because that was the <laughs> first time that happened to you. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> that happens to Owen a lot. Exactly. <laughs> um, so that's that, and um, then it disappeared for a while. It took years for it to actually happen. I think this was like 1983 or 84 when I read this oh, playbill. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, and eventually I heard it was happening over in London with. Um, with, Elaine Page. No, not Elaine no, Page. Not Elaine Page. The, um, the other one. Cook. Barbara Cook. Barbara Cook, yes. Because the, yeah, they're totally the same person. <laughs> right. With half um, American and half British cast. Mm-hmm. A, uh, obviously an American Margaret and a, um, and a British Carrie. Um, Debbie Allen was choreographing. She brought along Gene Anthony Ray from fame to play Billy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Terry Hands. From the Royal Shakespeare Company, mm-hmm. produced this, and he was the uh, artistic director, and he had a bizarre concept. When Dean Pitchford, when uh, Dean Pitchford and Gore, what's his, what's who are the writers? Michael Gore. Michael Gore and Dean Pitchford were pitching it to him. They said there are numbers that'll be like Greece, uh. and of course Terry Hans thought didn't know that he meant Greece the musical. He thought Grecian drama. <laughs> <laughs> so. So there are times when the cast is, are dressed in semi-togas. Yeah, yeah, that's what I said to Brad. Because yes. there is some video available on YouTube if you look around for it. And it's not good quality, but I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the prom going, this is, this is the weirdest prom. What the hell are they wearing? I mean, because it's it's it's, it's semi natural. It's kind of semi- it's kind of got an eighties feel, but it's set. In the, yes. Is it still set in the seventies or no? It's set in some. Okay, other it's set in, in on Xanadu. It's in Xanadu. <laughs> I was looking at it going, this looks like the prom at Dance of the Vampires. What the f- Another big flop. But I'm like, what the fuck are they wearing? <laughs> now, the only thing that he got right about, I mean, there are some, there are some good music. That's why the show stuck around for yes. so long. But his concept was the show, and, it, and it's very true, it's about the power of women. Yeah, well, the whole story's about that. It's about, I mean, obviously, Carrie's power, yeah. but the way both Chris mm-hmm. and Sue get their prospective boyfriends to do something, mm-hmm. the power that Margaret has... Over carry mm-hmm. the the men are just you know fruit superfluous the 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 the, 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 the the influence of the coach and, exactly yeah so, the men are completely superfluous exactly so that's that so that concept even the beak right? <laughs> <laughs> even yeah, the beak even the beak. <laughs> But but anyway, they wrote they wrote um, they wrote some really good stuff for Margaret and Carrie. When God made Eve from Adam's rib, and Eve was weak, Mama. and Eve was weak, how could and I know Eve was weak? Why didn't and you God tell me to bear the curse, the curse of blood? It's not a curse, Mama. The curse of blood. It's something all girls the go through. The curse of blood. You should have told me. Come to the cellar and pray, woman. Pray to heaven for your wicked soul. His name was sin. His name was sin. His name was sin. sin. And lust was how the sin began. The sin was man. Well, I understand. The sin was man. God has seen your sinning just beginning. Pray for your salvation from them. 
really interesting stuff, not necessarily what was, I thought, appropriate to the novel, because it made Margaret less crazy and a a little more loving. Okay, well, that's what struck me, because Owen and I, they've revived uh, Carrie off-Broadway, and we went to see it last Sunday. And so it's, well, we... Owen says that they've improved greatly. It's still got a shit ton of problems, and you can see why it flopped. But one of the main problems is Carrie and her mother are really not opposing enough. No, not at all. Not at all. They have like a kind of a loving relationship, and Margaret's not crazy enough, and there's not that weird abuse thing. It's kind of hand in hand, but not enough. Until the end where she digs an eight-inch butcher knife into her daughter's back, which comes out of nowhere, nowhere, it seems now. Yeah. Um... She yeah. What, even when she throws her into the prayer closet, it's kind of done lovingly. <laughs> it was done lovingly, yes. but you don't know what it's like in there. No, exactly. Yeah, she didn't even know it's the prayer closet. No, exactly. like, she could have just locked her in a room. You don't know. Now, when it was done on Broadway, Betty Buckley, who was batshit crazy anyway, yes. right? Who replaced Barbara Cook because Barbara Cook was almost killed by this piece of set. I'll get into that in a second. The piece of that was incredible. But Betty Buckley actually sounds crazy just the way she sings. Yeah, her so voice was, is bizarre. So she brought a lot of that to it. So mm-hmm. it, was, it, was, it was going that direction of a more... Mm-hmm. I remember that one of the musicals was... One of the musical taglines when I first started hearing about it. Carrie is this. Carrie is that. But what Carrie mostly is, is a strong love story between a mother and a daughter. No, it's not. <laughs> No, it's not. It's about a bitch who gets pulled too far and kills everybody. Yeah, they totally left. I gave any dramatic um, depth to the teenage characters. They were just there to be Terry Han's Grecian urn. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Because I've read the There's a book called Not Since Carrie. Because Carrie was the biggest Broadway flop I mean, the biggest flop in Broadway history, and I think it still is. Yeah. It still it lost is. $8 million. $8 million, which in Broadway, it's nothing for a movie, but for Broadway money, that's At, that's massive. After like 13 previews, it ran five performances and closed. And yes. Um, and many people will say they saw it. Everybody says they saw it. <laughs> but I, I'm one of those who did see it. Mm-hmm. Only because I had to, because I spent my teenage years writing my right, own. Right, right. Yes. And then you were like, ha, huh, close. Yes, exactly. Mine would have been better. Yeah. <laughs> no, I got into the BMI wor- workshop through one of my songs. You told here. me that. Nobody knows what that is, but I'm impressed oh, by that. Okay. Um, what was I going to say? Um, the version, I started to say something and... You know what? Let's just keep going. It'll come back or it won't. Um, yeah, I went off on a tangent. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> Tangents are good. That makes good bonus material. Uh, but, but, but. Uh, the music. Okay, but what, like, <laughs> one of the things I read in the book was that if you did not know, going in, that Carrie was telekinetic, you would have had no idea what the fuck was going on. <laughs> well, do you remember at the time Blacklight puppetry was in? Yes. That's how they did a lot of her. Uh, <laughs> so at one oh, come time, on. at one time, literally, come on, Carrie dances with her own prom gown. I heard about that. That's what they said because I noticed that was missing in this production yes, that we saw. Exactly. Because but actually, I people missed... thought it was like the Cinderella scene. Like exactly. it's the first time anything's happening, and they're like, "What the fuck is going on?" Exactly. She lifts her mother in a chair once to show defiance. Uh-huh. A light bulb goes off. Uh huh. 
It's not, it's, you know, and yeah, it's but, more than this version. The new version, it's kind of like they're a little embarrassed that she has telekinetic powers. They want to tell the human story. So that's what I got from this new version. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the sci-fi aspect they didn't like. It was no, just, but that's the story. No. Why are you shying away from exactly. the fucking story? I don't get it. When the story is so great, one of the things I love about it, you know, depending mm-hmm. on where you, th- the way I think I always got from the movie. Mm-hmm. which I always think it's cool, and it's the way Sissy Spacek plays it, or the way she was directed to play it, when she finally snaps, mm-hmm. is that she just basically almost goes catatonic. Yes. Nothing's moving, and it's almost like she ain't home no more. <laughs> that the floodgates <laughs> open, and this shit is pouring out exactly. and doing its own thing. Exactly. Like, she's got no control of this thing anymore. It's bigger than her. Right. She isn't necessarily evil. No. Just, she was she just pushed, pushed too far. far. And she becomes power. Yes. With, you know. With capital P, that runs yes, with T. Exactly. That already stood for pool because it was P. Yes. Um, yeah, but what was unfortunate, I was happy to see this version because what I liked about it too is that this version modernized it and it felt modern yes. for the most part. It didn't feel like, like they took out a lot of the keyboards that I hear. Well, they reorchestrated a lot of the Nicely. numbers to sound. They were the, lot, the exact same, a lot of them the same numbers from the 80s, yeah. but they rearranged the, the music so it sounds a little more For instance, I had seen, there's, there's, a, there's a video of this awful, the awful prom song called What a Night. <laughs> Not What a Night, What a Night. It's spelled W-O-T-T-A, Night. And this is what I saw. Point. Yeah, exclamation point. And it was so... Awful. I sit down and go and I'm like, I can't wait to see this one. And then I waited for it. I'm like, didn't happen. And then when I went back and watched the video again today, I'm like, oh, they did do it. That was right at the top of Act 2, but it was reorchestrated so nicely right. and it fits so into... Well, they changed the title. They changed the lyrics. It's now called A Night We'll Never Forget. Oh, okay. Okay. Can't you see the sky burning hot night? What a night. <laughs> and fucking awful choreography. Debbie Allen's choreography. Why does anybody let her do anything? It was horrible. Why does anybody let her do anything? If you don't know who she is, she was the dance teacher on Fame. You got big dreams. You want fame. Well, fame costs. Right here's where you start paying. In sweat. And I don't know how she... Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. She had one line in the movie, and it was the best line. Wicked. But she choreographs everything. The reason they don't do musical numbers at the Oscars anymore is because she had a contract to choreograph all of them and they were fucking awful. I remember the last year she did it. I don't remember what the movies were but it was the year that Riverdance was really popular and she decided to incorporate all of the the things, uh, all the movies nominated for best score, all these excerpts from the score had some sort of river dancing involved in it. I'm like, this does not work. Exactly. and I went back and I was looking. Okay, they do this one move in the choreography. And I, God damn it, it's not a video thing. It's like the snake thing. and like <laughs> They must have done it 150 times. And everything else looked like aerobicizing. I'm like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. And Owen and I have seen some really <laughs> awful things. <laughs> but I, part of, a lot of that's retrospect. Actually, when I saw it, it didn't seem that out of place because it was like... Well, it was, it was the, 80s. the 80s. I mean, you go back and watch Fame the movie now, and what's it, what it's famous for is those great dances. You watch now, it looks like a lot of people jumping around. Right, like a Olivia Newton-John video. 
That's don't take that back. <laughs> you take that back right now. I will throw you out of my house. I will slap you so hard. But uh, oh, now one of the reasons I wanted to talk about Carrie on mm-hmm. the show is because something one of my listeners said. Okay. Now Joe from Cincy, he's a very sweet guy. He's become one of my dear dear friends. Hi Joe. Hi Joe. And he called in one day, and he's not. He started listening because he heard me on another podcast uh, uh, about Survivor. And I mentioned the show, and he started listening. He's like, I'm not really super into horror movies, but the show's really funny. And he calls him regularly. He called him one day. He's like, you know, yeah, I watched Carrie the other night, and, you know, it's just really stupid. I don't know why anybody would want to watch it. It's not scary. And I was like, oh, Joe. Oh, Joe. Joe, who is gay? I'm like, Joe. (laughs) It's you got to go back and watch it as a gay man and not as a horror fan. because is he? Is he one of these new no, crop of gays? No, I mean, he's young. Don't, appre- don't no, appreciate no, their gay no, heritage? No, 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 no. Sometimes you just have to redirect somebody's <laughs> focus because this thing is gay heaven from start <laughs> yes, to finish. Because exactly. the thing I love about it, too, I mean, the casting is brilliant. Like, all these minor roles, too, are people. Everybody became Eating stars at this. Edie McClure, and I love PJ Souls. I love PJ Souls. Her and Nancy Allen, they're always good for getting yes. naked and dying. That's exactly. what they do. That's what they do, except when she except when PJ Soul was in rock and roll high school, which is a whole other thing. That was another obsession of mine. That's another podcast. Save it for the Ramones cast, Patrick. But um, the thing I love the story is that that Star Wars was casting the same day. You haven't heard this? No. Oh, I can educate Owen. Star Wars and uh, and, and Carrie were casting the same day and they shared the studio hence they shared the audition so if you auditioned for one you were auditioning for both so they were fighting for people to cast so it could have gone either way so people from Star Wars could have wound up in Carrie people from Carrie could have wound up in Star Wars so personally I would have loved to have seen Carrie Fisher play Carrie because she grew up into Carrie because that bitch is crazy now <laughs> that would have been amazing it would have been like precursor the future no idea. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, they all talk about it. They're like, we didn't know where we were going to end up. Right. <laughs> and Princess Leia's PJ Souls <laughs> like, with the hat. With the <laughs> oh, we forgot to mention that um, Betty Buckley plays Miss Collins. Oh, yes. Betty Buckley plays Miss Collins in the movie, and yeah. she played it and she the played mom the on Broadway. Right. And Various she, things. She was Miss, she's Miss Desjardins in the book. Miss Desjardins. <laughs> she's Miss Collins in the movie. Uh-huh. And she's Miss Gardner in the musical. Okay. Because I think Desjardins means of the gardens or something in French. So, oh, because that we can't have that. We can't have no French. Now, they hate freedom. <laughs> hey, I think I called her Miss Gardner, too. Okay. In my version. So they stole that from me, too. Okay, <laughs> bastards. They bastards. stole that from me, too. Burn in hell. <laughs> Carrie White eats shit and so does her musical. Oh, they say that. See, they don't say they that. Say that. They don't once. say that once. Oh, they, they just say it once? Yeah. Carrie Wright and shit? What's her name? Chris. Chris said it. Oh, good. At some point, she said it to her face. Oh, when she was supposed to apologize. This whole thing where they have to apologize to Carrie for throwing tampons. Come on, Joe. The movie opens with flying tampons and maxi pads. And the thing is, I made the joke. His friend, <laughs> my friend Emily from the Deadly Dolls uh, blog, she's like, I can't wait to go. I can't wait to go and see a whole number about flung tampons. And after I saw it, I'm like, actually, they use a kind of like a t-shirt cannon. <laughs> they just blow them out in the audience. And she's like, no, I'm going to be disappointed if that doesn't happen. So I'm not going to tell her if that happens or not. 
Actually, it doesn't. But the thing I thought was funny, this I thought was really funny, because they, the scene is happening, she's in the shower, she comes out in a little towel, and they're throwing the tampons and stuff at her. But one girl, I think it was... The... The... The PJ Souls character? No. <laughs> the the other one. like Frida? The, Frida! <laughs> Frida all of a sudden comes in with this, like, bag of tampons she like comes up here and I'm like why did she have a bag of 500 tampons Frida I think that's more funny than Carrie White getting her period but yeah it, but no so they have to apologize to Carrie this is not in the movie it's not in the book and she, instead of apologizing of course Chris just goes up to her face yeah okay I Carrie White, eat shit. But she wasn't a, she wasn't the best actress, and she kind of tossed it away. <laughs> oh, that's why I didn't even notice. You eat shit, because I love that every time they say it. Because Charlotte Damois in the musical, that's what the best part. She screams it all over the stage. Carrie White, eat shit! <laughs> that was I'm her. surprised there should be a song called <laughs> Carrie White, eat shit. <laughs> And it would be in the Mega Mix, and it would be amazing. <laughs> now, come to find out in the in the book, that's, that's graffiti in the it Chamberlain High School. I know, I remember that. And they, I think they put that in the in the movie too. That it is graffiti in the movie as well. I don't remember, but everybody says it because someone's just, washing it off. Aren't yeah, you? it was everywhere. It was <laughs> so, everywhere. Poor thing. Poor thing. Poor thing. Or scary white. Did they call her scary white? In this they book? did call her scary white in this. <laughs> That was stupid, too. Or Pray and Carrie. Pray and Carrie. <laughs> the problem with the thing we just saw, the girl that played Carrie, we no, didn't like her. No. She was too... Normal. Normal. There was, she was, there was no fragility. There was no otherness about her. And she just wasn't a very good actress. She no. had these wonderful lines and wonderful scenes that just got tossed away. I'm going, Mama, and you can't stop me. Was just like, I'm going, Mama, you can't stop me. <laughs> Really, or more really mine, like, I'm gonna, it just was terrible. Yeah. There wasn't much difference between her and Sue, eventually. Yeah, they were pretty much the same yeah. person, except, you know, yeah. And Sue, well, but, this was the other thing that you brought up, that the musical, this version of it, starts off like the book. It's, they do these weird investigation scenes where they've got, they're grilling Sue as if she's responsible <laughs> which, for which, all of this, which would be great if Sue made up this whole <laughs> elaborate story about how this one teenage girl blew up the whole town. Well, the thing Sue. is, the dialogue is right, again, from the book, but from the government inquest yeah. about it. This appears to be the Chamberlain police. Yeah, you don't know who's investigating <laughs> exactly. her. And then it eventually goes nowhere. They just kind of drop it. And it's just, just so stupid. Exactly. For a while, it was okay. I'm like, all right, if I want to do it this way, it was fun. But I did start to say, Who, what, what do you want from her? Well, eventually they just started using it as a device to show, to tell, not show. Yeah. Because it's they couldn't show her doing, destroying the rest of the town. We had to hear I know, But you know what? I would have been much happier if they just left it. Okay, yes. we have to talk about the destruction scenes. Now, you saw the original version. Right. Laser beams. Awful. Yeah. It was horrible. This was actually fairly good. Yeah. You, I you can see the video of this again on YouTube. It's this very strange set for starters. It's like it's like some weird I don't even know how to describe it, like geo cubal thing. It's all like very silver and mirrors and just very with a stand in the middle, and then of course that kind of rises because it's it's elevated somewhat in the original. So I swear to God, Gene Anthony Ray as Billy. 
does not pull a pail. No. And you know, from the rafters. No. And falls. He just runs on stage and pours blood on her head. Yeah. In the original. <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Like I said, you can see this on YouTube. Yes. And it's this weird Greek Xanadu <laughs> set that they're on. They're wearing these weird costumes. And he comes in and he throws blood on her, but it's like a teaspoon. <laughs> it like hits her over the eyes. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's what this all is about? That's what this is about. But then all that happens is the scrim, there's this, this see-through scrim that comes down. I guess it's supposed to be like the door's closing, and they're all just running around and screaming. The stage rises. The stage oh, I, rises. that I didn't get. But you just saw the whole thing filling with smoke, and then. And apparently, Carrie. And laser beams. Laser beams. Carrie can control lasers from the floor. If it wasn't from Rance, I'd buy that, but they're coming out of the floor. Okay, she can, she can make laser beams come out of the floor. And which appears to make people... Turn into smoke. <laughs> yes. And they kind of just die. Yeah. And okay, then from where she is elevated, this huge white staircase comes down. That's got a hole in the middle for... Well, the hello, stage. Dolly. <laughs> exactly. Yes, hello. So when it comes Dolly. down, it fits over Carrie. And at the top of the staircase is Margaret with a knife. Uh-huh. <laughs> she wa- it's very esoteric. Uh-huh. It's a very impressionistic ending. Uh, Margaret walks down. It's all white. Carrie's drenched in blood somewhat. Uh-huh. <laughs> and and her, her makeup on her right eye is all <laughs> fucked up. And Margaret, you know, stabs her. Carrie puts her hand over her heart and stops her heart. Like in the book. Yeah, Sue... Crawls on stage and reaches for Carrie the end. <laughs> yeah. Now, the version we saw, it was a bit better. Because, now you have to understand, this is off-Broadway. It's a very small house, and they had a very small cast. Um, so there were pretty much just three couples at the prom, not counting Tommy and Carrie. Right. And the teachers, who disappeared, by the way, were not there for the right. finale. But they didn't drop a bucket on her either. I mean, they did, but it was more... Symbolic. It was impressionistic. And you knew the bucket was up there. You saw them hang the bucket, but then every now and then during the prom, they would cast the shadow of the bucket hanging over. It the was prom. all done with projections. It was done with projections. And um, when they pull the rope, you saw the bucket shadow turn, and everything goes red. But then everything, the stage filled up with these projections of blood, blood just splashing which everywhere. Re- which actually reminded me of another Stephen King, The Shining. The Shining. The it was like the elevator. Comes out and then this, the blood was also burning, so I'm like, this is fucking awesome. It's <laughs> really cool. This was awesome. And then we see the he, the, the uh, hemoglobin up front. They look, you know, you can see the hemoglobin from the um, as if it was a uh, microscopic yeah. shot in the back, kind of floating around. So it was yeah. all about blood. It was all about the blood. And Carrie uh, is all drenched in red. They have this huge, huge red, red spot intense spine on. Uh, spot so on. It's actually cool. It was cool. But then again, the problem with the piece is that it's not long enough. No. 
He used to all his build-ups this moment, and you're like, meh. Nah. And it was over. And they did this weird kind of electrocution dance. <laughs> and so, then she pinned them up against the wall. Well, that was cool. cool. Well, I didn't get that they were pinned on the wall. It was like, it was like you were looking at the dance floor from above. Oh, that's a, That's oh, what I, I thought. Oh, it was I like Titanic. <laughs> I thought she was just pinning them up. No, I thought they were just... Oh, yeah, they kind of in their in their frenzy. Some of them were there were there were right. steps and stuff on the wall, and they were just kind of hanging from them. So some things the director did well, but also during that we don't know what happens to Tommy. We don't know what happens to Miss Gardner. Yep. We really want Chris and Billy to get theirs, but we don't know. If know, they did, you don't see it. He doesn't isolate any. No. and he really could, you know, in that middle of the scene, if he, creatively, he if he could have, if he, yeah, he didn't, chose not mm -hmm. to. But yeah, so you're kind of have all these. Plot holes are left hanging, and then the end was kind of the same. She just kind of stopped her heart, and then mom, then <laughs> Sue came in, and was like, eh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. and it was over. <laughs> yeah, they kept that in with no no finale song, no song. But what's Carrie? <laughs> that sounds just like Call Me. It does. I'm playing the yeah. <laughs> she keeps singing this song, Carrie. My name is Carrie, and it doesn't like call me. Pick up the phone and just call me. <laughs> I remember that from 1988. <laughs> I'm glad you told me that after we saw it, because I would have laughed all during that number. Okay, so um, is there anything else you want to say about Carrie? Um, no, but I'm uh, after seeing Chronicle, I decided I want the new version to be found footage. <laughs> I'd buy that. Because, you know, all kids all I would buy that. Phones. I would totally buy that. I, I thought... That would be awesome. Yeah. Shit. I have to cut that part out, though, because someone is going to steal that. I know you fuckers. <laughs> I know you fuckers. Joe from Cincy's writing it down right now. <laughs> on his pad with his little pink pencil with the big fluffy thing on the top of it. I know what you use. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know how much to say. I, I just love it. I've always loved it. I will always love it. And I'm just... Was happy to see the musical come back. I'm thrilled to talk about it. It's sold out, so you can't. It, see the it. whole run is sold out because everyone wanted to see if it was going to train wreck because it's so legendary right. at this point. But that's the problem. It doesn't train wreck, and it isn't good enough to actually no. be great. No, and there's nothing dangerous about it no. anymore. And as awful as the original, there were sparks of creativity in the original. <laughs> I was doing laser hands. <laughs> That actually made it legendary, and this yeah. show is not. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, yeah absolutely. But, you know, it happened. It's on these shores again. It's being seen, and that's great. And, um, well, I hope you all have enjoyed our visit to Carrie. Hopefully we'll be hearing from the guys from Scary the Musical soon. And if we don't, I'll cut this whole fucking part out. So, Owen, where can people find out more about you? Um, I don't have a website. You suck. <laughs> well, well, what are you working on? I should. What are you working on right now? I'm uh, taking a... Another 70s disturbed young woman and musicalizing her because they stole Carrie from me. Uh, I'm writing a musical based on Sybil. Oh, with the multiple personalities. Yes, exactly. Oh, that's exciting. See, I'm sounding all excited like I don't know this, but you guys already know I know this because I talked about that. I did the reading of it like four weeks ago. I can't pull the wool over your eyes. So that's good. And um, that's that. It, it, I like disturbed women. Yeah, we've only read the book right now, but I enjoyed the book quite a bit. It was surprisingly unnerving in <laughs> it's also one of the uh, Sybil is actually one of those now comedic references yes I mean it's you know like drag queen said she is Sybil girlfriend mm -hmm. and a lot of people don't know <laughs> who they're actually making fun of so. <laughs> well because it was this horrendous I remember when I read it again 70s when no one talked about child abuse I had never read anything no. quite like what especially Sybil's that mother, kind of child abuse Sybil's mother did to Sybil and, mm -hmm. and I don't I don't think it's funny but there no. are people who have said but how are you going to deal with the comedic or the camp campiness of it 
I said, I'm not. Yeah. I don't see it that way. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it's going to be a serious. Okay. Well, the fags will camp it up eventually anyway. <laughs> exactly. As soon as it opens, exactly. it'll, it'll be on Forbidden Broadway. Exactly. Okay, Owen, thank you very much for joining well, me. Thank you for having it's me. It's been wonderful having you. <laughs> Anytime. Anytime. Okay, <laughs> he exists, y'all. Exactly. He exists. I'll be back to talk about Salem's Lot next time. Okay, and, and uh, Dark Shadows. <laughs> oh, and, yeah, Dark Shadows, Dark of Shadows. course. Yes. And I want to get your friends on. Your friends who got married to the Carrie song, for Christ's sake. <laughs> and that's a bucket of pig's blood. <laughs> thank you, sir. That was fun. Could it be that the lady is me in the photograph? I'm afraid cause it feels too good and I want it too bad. It's just not Patrick, it's Betty. And Derwood. Yay! Calling you with a review of Julia's Eyes or Los Ojos de Julia. Great movie. Yes. Thanks for the translation uh, <laughs> during the trailer. The Rosetta Stone worked great. You're welcome. Um, really good. Yeah, um, it's yeah. very much like a giallo. It was. It had a mystery. <gasps> mm-hmm. You know what it was? Someone investigating a murder um, that's other that. than the cop. Right. A lot of red herrings. Lots of red herrings. Oh. Um, and another Italian nod with the eye trauma. Yeah, a la Very Fulci. Fulci. Yeah. yeah, that was... Um, that was yeah, yeah. The, with the red herrings, I mean, there's so many characters that they introduce. Um, the neighbor, the neighbor's daughter, Yvonne, the caregiver, who's, is you know, are they good or are they bad? And with Yvonne, you do find out eventually, and that answer is very chilling. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, and the blind neighbor, she was interesting. Yep. Yeah, and uh, well, we can't really say anything no. else. Uh, and anyway, um, yes, Julia had very nice boobs. I know, right? I agree. <laughs> they were front and center. They were hard to miss. Boink, um, right there. And I, I admired them very much. And Speaking of boobs. The- Speaking of boobs, yes, the locker room scene, we also agree, was, was very, very creepy. creepy. Uh-huh. Uh, rivals anything in Carrie. 
Except for the boobs. Yeah. I like the boobs and Carrie. Uh, Darren oh, prefers so. the Carrie they boobs were to the Julia boobs. <laughs> These so, were kind of... Uh, well, the people obvious. in the locker room yeah. boobs. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> off the boobs. Um, there was a POV <laughs> shot that I enjoy very much where the killer had just finished um, knocking somebody off. And yes. he's running upstairs and into a, I think it was a restaurant or some public oh, place. Oh, yeah, the hotel. Everyone, including Julia and the cops or, or her husband, pass right by him and don't even look at yeah, him. Yeah, they were really trying to illustrate the fact that he felt invisible, and that was very effective. Yeah, not only did he feel invisible, but the, uh, I think the old man uh, said something to her about, you know, beware the killer. He he has no face or something no. like that. And he is a man with no light. Well. Um, yeah, and no speaking light. of faces or no faces, the camera shots. A lot of camera shots that were just from the neck down, so you weren't sure who the people were. Yes. You know, why why she was seeing them like that or why we were seeing them like right. that. Really added to the mystery. Yeah, yes. very, very good. And for someone so vulnerable... They left her alone a lot. Yeah, they no, did. No, seriously. They left her alone for long periods of time, and bad things happened yep, every knew, single time. Yeah, you knew something was coming. Yep, exactly. So, in the ending, uh, it got very, very tense when it was between uh, Julia and one other particular character. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that culminated in an ending that I thought was the very final part of the film, but there was about ten more minutes tacked on yeah. that... At first, yeah, we felt it was a little hokey at first, but yeah, but it, it did tie up the movie well. It did, and the very, very, very last shot before the credits was cool. Um, so I think all in all, uh, we like the ending. So. Yeah, and it's a two-hour-long movie, so anybody thinking about watching it, it's well worth the time investment. It really is. So thanks again for the suggestion, Patrick. You're welcome. And we'll talk to you later. Bye. I look forward to it. It's like Christmas. Seriously, having a blue day and getting a call from Betty Durwood, everything just brightens up for me. It's like a little bit of, well, as Joan Rivers would say, it's like a little bit of fresca on my panty shield. Woo! Tingly. Anyway, I'm really glad you like Julia's eyes. I really enjoyed it as well. I did not catch that it was following the rules of the giallo, pretty much. Oh, granted, there were no black gloves, but still, some of those other you know borderline rules were there. It had that essence of a giallo. Um, the boobs were, yeah, the, boob, the boobs and Carrie, of course, were better. They were younger and more nubile. Not that that's always better, but they were also not attached to freaky faces with, like, glazed cataract eyes and things like that. But anyway, and also, it was not a scary scene, the boobs and Carrie. Well, it might have been. Oh, never mind, never mind, never mind. We're talking, we're done talking about Carrie for now. We're talking about you. Um, I agree with everything you said, and it was, what the, the caretaker said was that he was a man with no light. And it kind of left you to figure out exactly what that meant. And that's also what made me wonder. I'm like, is this guy supernatural or is he not? And I'm not giving away what the answer is because when they revealed what it was, I was like, what? Except even higher. So it was like, what? Like that. So it was. (laughs) And uh, the ending, I agree. There was the ending and then there was the other ending. And it didn't feel, and not to say that it was like a tacked on thing, but the mystery part ended rather grossly, to put it that way. And then it just, um, the emotional part of the story had to ride out. And I think this particular director and the combination of Guillermo del Toro and this particular director, they go for these weird, happy, sad endings. Like, uh, I mean, Pan's Labyrinth had an ending that was either sad or happy, depending on how you interpreted it. You know, I don't want to ruin it, but like, did the girl die? Or was she really a fairy queen all this time and now she's 
Beckett or whatever. And same thing with the orphanage. And I'm like, did, you know, yes, they're all dead, but now they're together. Like Wendy and the Lost Boys and stuff like that. And this one, well, you know what happened. The rest of them are going to have to find out for their own damn selves. Betty Durwood, I am squeezing you in a very tight hug right now. Thank you. I'm feeling a little blue at the moment, and that just cheered me up. So you guys get another gold star, brown nosers. Hi, Patrick. This is Aaron from North Carolina. Hey, sweet thing. I've been meaning and meaning and meaning to call the show. And yes. two things that finally got me off my ass. Um, one, I was listening to The Ballad of Harry Warden in episode 52. Yes. And it has a distinct sea shanty vibe to it. So I was, <laughs> I started swinging an imaginary mug back and forth. As, as I told you to. Play as you do. And I started to wonder... How do they keep from spilling their beer? Uh, maybe, maybe they just don't. Maybe they just don't care. Maybe when a bunch of sea shanty ears get together, everyone's covered in beer by the end of the song. Hmm. So, how about it? Have you ever swung a mug of beer while singing a sea shanty, preferably? And uh, how do you keep from spilling it? Uh, second. Uh, I realized I was voting for the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards recently, yes. and I realized we have to get Veronica Cartwright into the Fango Hall of Fame. Oh, okay. So, everybody, Google Fango Chainsaw Awards 2012 ballot. I'm doing it right now. And we can get Veronica her rightful place in the Hall of Fame. Hey, bye. Okay, thank you for the call, Aaron. This is this is this is a good call. First of all, thank you for the tip off about the Fango Chainsaw Awards and getting Veronica Cartwright in there because you were absolutely right. She needs to be the, she needs to be front and center. So she or well, you know, if she but then again, if she if she's if she's nominated and she loses, she'll probably go to pieces and cry. And I live for that. Oh gosh, this is so hard. You know what? Let's not even risk it. Let's get over there and vote for her, everybody. I actually can't find. The link on Fangoria for it at the moment. So you guys are on your own. Google Fangoria Chainsaw Awards. Do it now because I don't know how long the voting is going to be open for. And secondly, your first question. Secondly, your first question. Huh. Anyway, uh, how do you keep from spilling your liquor when clinking your mugs together while singing a she-shanty? A she-shanty. A while singing a she-shanty. You know... This is why people tune into the show, Aaron. It's for moments like this because Scream Queens, it's not just the podcast where horror gets bent. It's also where people come to hear the answers to the hard-hitting questions that plague us all. Now, here's my theory. Perhaps, since you said specifically a sea shanty, sea shanty beer clinking, and not like Oktoberfest beer clinking, I'm going to focus specifically on that because I think the rules are different when you're on land. But I think perhaps when you're dealing with um, seafaring men that, you know, they have developed in their line of work sea legs. You know, they're used to clinking those things on, 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 on ships. And, you know, the liquor is scarce, so I'm sure they have to do it very, very carefully, and it's an art. And when they come on land, they're even more skilled at it. So just, just, just appreciate the years of dedication and, and well intoxication that got them to this level and no i have never flung a beer while singing a, sh- a sea shanty i can't even say sh- sea shanty much less sing one and here's why since i'm using the verba- the ver- <sighs> i'm using the verbiage i'm using the verbiage that you used you said flung a beer i would never fling a beer at anybody you know why 
because Safety Girl would kick my ass. Now, most of you are wondering, who the hell is Safety Girl? Well, I'm going to tell you who Safety Girl is, and you cannot repeat this to anybody, okay? Bradford has a secret identity as a crime fighter. He is Safety Girl. Now, Safety Girl has dedicated her life to the prevention of alcohol abuse. And no, 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 I don't mean like having a drinking problem. I mean like flinging a beer and wasting that alcohol on the floor. Safety Girl teaches you important lessons like how to, you know, hold on to your cocktail and still make a right turn without spilling anything in your car. Safety Girl does not approve of all these real housewife shows where people are constantly, constantly throwing perfectly good top-shelf cocktails in each other's face. They make Safety Girl cry. Safety Girl can't watch Smash because Angelica Houston keeps, keeps wasting, wasting those Manhattans and martinis. And again, overpriced drinks with overpriced liquor, beautiful liquor thrown in someone's face. So no, I don't want to piss off Safety Girl because Safety Girl will, you know, I, well, she pouts. I don't know. I got nothing. I got nothing. Just leave me alone. I don't know. I don't know. It's a, that, 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 that's my verdict on sea shanties. And that was a really rambly answer to uh, I got nothing. Patrick, that was so hillbilly hot. I love it. You need to go give uh, Mike over at uh, Wes Cadaver Lab now the Corpse Cast ideas because he has the chipperest Intro, I don't even know if that's a word. Please, anyway, I give Mike enough I ideas. Two things. One, for a movie recommendation, the first Closet of which queen. is a very independent, I, I presume low-budget movie called Ink. I Ink. don't know if you reviewed it. I don't think so, but if you did, Mia Culpa. If you haven't, I have not. watch it. It is beautiful, and it is heartbreaking, but in a good way. And if you're not a soggy, sappy mass by the end of it, then I'm fairly certain that this is grounds for exorcism because clearly something's fucked up with your soul. I see. Well, it's, it's gorgeous. Okay. <laughs> it, it totally reminds me a lot of Pan's Labyrinth, not thematically so much, but Ooh. totally, and it reminds me a lot, too, of Il- Il- the uh, the Orphanage. Love it. Both of which are also hearty recommended. Love it. I'm sure you've already seen them. Anyway, mm-hmm. my second um, thing is uh, I wanted to basically share a small anecdote on how I knew that I too, was going to be a Scream Queen. Yes. When I was 12 years old, uh, my father was watching the infamous trailer for Psycho that Alfred Hitchcock did where he was doing sort of an explanation while going yeah, around the bathroom. doing the tour. The hotel. And I had this weird, disgusting habit where um, I loved peaches, and I would get a peach, and I would make a hole in the skin, and then I would sort of suck on it eh? and kind of masticate it. But, I mean, it was, it was eh? absolutely grotesque. I have no fucking idea why the hell I thought that was eh? but, you know, 12-year-olds are frequently gross. And I had mangled down about half of this peach, and I'm watching the trailer with my father. It's, I don't know, 11 o'clock on a Saturday in the middle of the summer. I'm wearing shorts and my tank top, and I'm coated in peach juice. Uh, And Alfred Hitchcock is saying, and then there was blood everywhere, and then they cut to the shower scene when Janet Lee screams. Uh And I inhaled, and I aspirated the fucking peach into my mouth. Now, this was a big peach. It was about the size of a tennis ball, and I was 12. That's a lot of mass going into a contained space. And so oh. my dad laughed oh. at me while I choked and masticated this peach down so that I could actually close my mouth and, you know, get it out of my mouth, basically. Oh. And I had to watch Psycho after that. 
I then developed a crush on Norman Bates, but we'll get into that later. Oh. And, uh, yeah, anyway, so that was my humiliating proto-scream queen moment, because I figured, you know, if you, if you breathe a peach for a movie, you've got a dedication to the genre. Well. Anyway, love ya, mean it, bye. Well, <laughs> mystery caller who did not leave your name, uh... That's quite a story. Um, personally, I think you hit the rank of Scream Queen as, as soon as you were able to fit an entire peach inside of your mouth because, you know, that always comes in handy. Not maybe in horror movies, but it always comes in handy. Might help you get cast in the horror movie. But, um, okay, Mike, you think you want me to give Mike from the Cadaver Lab some ideas? Let me tell you something about Mike from the Cadaver Lab. The first time I met Mike, he stuck a business card down my ass crack. Yeah, and granted, I was asking for it. It was on a horror hound weekend, and I was crouching down talking to somebody, and I was flashing the plumber's crack. Was flashing the plumber's crack, but he stuck his business card down my crack, and there was some finger involved, and that was my introduction to him. So I have never let him forget the fact that he wants me, and he always is denying it. But it's really kind of hard to understand him with that big dick in his mouth all the time. But that's really not the point right now. We're talking about you. We're talking about Inc. I have not seen the movie Inc. I just added it to my Netflix clue, Netflix queue, while I was talking to you. And um, the peach. I, I don't know. There's just something about peaches that I find obscene. It's probably someone that I was in an acting class with once, this awful, 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 awful human being of a person who thought it was funny to get up and, like, act out. Well, basically, it was a whole monologue about his girlfriend's delicious shaved peach. So, if you want to masticate on a peach like that and just make a hole in it and suck everything out through the hole, well, that just kind of goes with his whole story. So, I was, I was kind of shivering in my boots here for an entirely different reason. And... I like the, the fact that you're using the word masticate. Masticate, children. Not that other one. It means chew. Look it up. It makes parents so nervous. I got a letter once from a parent. Never mind. It's not important right now. Thank you for calling, mystery caller. And um, got to work on that gag reflex. Just saying. Cocking hell. This is Stacy from Creepy Kids Podcast. I just realized oh. I did not. I dated myself in the slightest in that <sighs> previous voicemail i just left you because i'm a fucking moron okay bye for real oh there you go kids there you have it this just in the mystery solved you heard it here first and you heard it from the horse's mouth stacy from the creepy kids podcast is a peach sucking fucking idiot which is my favorite kind of fucking idiot thanks for clearing that up stacy because that would have kept me up well not at all tonight but anyway thanks (laughs) love you a
tired of singing Spaghetto. Oh my gosh. How long is this going on for? We are mum away. I don't know. Shut up. called in last week with a review of Grave Encounters, and I didn't play it for two reasons, because we had already had a five-minute call from Zombart that episode, and also because there were some sound issues on the call that it kept dropping out for five, six seconds at a time. Yet this one comes through crystal clear. What what's that? Are you breaking up, Zomber? Well, what's that? Oh, you're breaking up, Zomber. I can't hear you. Oh, oh no, we must be losing the call. Oh, oh, the call dropped. You know, Zombart, if that was supposed to be, annoy me. It didn't. It was actually rather fun. So thank you for calling in, Zombart. Talk to you soon. Hi, Danny. Is he off his meds? Just wondering. Hey, Patrick. You sound like Beetlejuice in that message. But anyway, we just saw... I'm here with Galaxia Rich and Guillermo. Oh, 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 Milo, because Guillermo and I always remember this movie as a child, but apparently we weren't children when we saw this movie because it was from 98. But anyways... So we saw the movie and Rich hated it, and Galaxia remembers it, and we wanted to give a review on it, but I don't really remember what I wanted to review about. But anyway, (sighs) just wanted to say hi and that we love the show, and Guillermo wants to say something. And I have now a black male mannequin added to my collection. I want you to see it next time you come here. (laughs) 
I know you, you love it. I've been hunting. And it has a lot of petrol. I'll, I'll show it to you. <laughs> what? But anyways, we wanted to say we love your show and just to say hi. <laughs> Bye. Wow. That was a f- really fucked up phone call. Thank you, Miss Nix. Yes, that was the famous Nix from the Dark Side Horror Movie Meetup Group and her little posse over there. I had to tell you that because she couldn't be bothered to introduce herself because she's such a celebrity. She just assumes everybody knows who she is just because she won Scream Queen of the Week a thousand years ago and has never called the show at all or anything like that. But And when she does call, she's drunk. Come on, you guys were drunk. You didn't even know what you were calling in for. Lord almighty. Yeah, Milo. I kind of remember seeing that and I kind of remember hating it. So thank you for not talking about her for three minutes just so I could just zone out and... Notice how fucked up you all are. Oh, my God. So you're there with Galaxia. Now, for those of you listening, Galaxia ruins everything that she touches. You know, she'll any, she's just a horrible person. She's horrible. I don't know anybody talks to her. And Guillermo is, is Nix's brother. And he's an incredible artist. But, you know, weirdness runs in that family. It's cute on them, but they are weird. And he's got a black mannequin. Male mannequin now for me to look at. Next time I come over, I don't know what that's about. I don't think I'll be coming over anytime soon. Rich... What is going on with your people? Get a clear phone line, goddammit. Fuck you! Fuck all three, y'all! All three, y'all. All three... Nah, just, just fuck off. I love you. Hey, Patrick. What's going on? It's Rich from the Dark Side Horror Group. Uh, oh. Your call to arms. Um, Big Daddy. Some information on that Scares That Cares uh, dinner um, that is happening um, at the end of March on your show. And uh, sorry I haven't given you a call uh, lately but things have been Ever? crazy, as you might have known. But um, anyway, uh, just uh, pretty much if anybody wants any information, they can go to stcdinner.org for details. But pretty much it's a benefit dinner, benefit dinner and dance on March 31st. Um, it's at the Windham Gettysburg in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, from about 6 to 11. Um there's going to be three celebrities. Actually, we're supposed to be, uh, well, it's going to be Kane Hodder um, from mm-hmm. Friday the 13th fame. Yes. Uh, Serena Vincent from Cabin Fever and Returned Ooh. Out the House on Haunted Hill. Um, and they were supposed to have Ernie Hudson, but he's filming in Canada. Aww. And um, his production company won't let him out of his commitment. So <sighs> fuck you to them, as, I, as you would say. Um, no, but I'd say cool. For not letting him out to help a charity, but um, oh. I'm sure we'll get somebody else that's really cool in there. Uh, and, of course, all the proceeds, you know, go to help sick kids and women fighting breast cancer. Um, we always say save the boobies, and uh, that's huh. one great thing about the charity. Uh, tickets for people who are interested are 60 per person to attend the event, um, but if you want to sit at the celebrity table with, like, Kane or Serena or whoever uh, replaces Ernie, uh, it's one uh, $150 to sit at their table, and there'll be dinner provided, uh, music, they'll be doing karaoke, uh, silent oh, auction and raffles, and most importantly, uh, there will be a cash bar available. So that's pretty much all the information. Hey, for um, use it as you will, and uh, that's it for now. So uh, keep up the great work. Uh, waiting for the next uh podcast to come on out so i have something to do during the day during my uh, working hours driving mm. around in my car but uh take care patrick i'll see you soon and um uh have a good one man bye 
Okay, Rich, thank you for finally calling into the show after all this time. Um, except it's rather unfortunate, I have to say. It's unfortunate that I received the calls with your caller ID on them in the order that I did. You know, I got your girlfriends first. And now it just kind of seemed like you were coming in to do damage control because those three were fucked up. This is the first time the dark side has made any kind of, you know, actual tangible appearance on the show besides me yakking about you. And then this, 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 those three yapping on about black men in the bedroom and, 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 and I don't know what was going on there. Then you come on with your big ball head and trying to be all cool and suave and shit like that. And, you know, I would bust on you more, but it is for charity and it is an important thing. So for those of you who are in the Gettysburg area or willing to travel a bit uh, on March 27th, check out the benefit. Uh, Please look into it. Try to put it on your uh, social calendar. And that is on March 27th. And once again, that email, the email, not the email, webpage is at sctdinner.org. Thank you, Rich. Now put your minions back in their cage before somebody gets hurt. Hey, Patrick, this is Trey. Hey, Sugar. I just want to call and talk for a little bit about Carrie. Um, Yay! I love the movie. Um, it's a great movie. I love Brian De Palma. He's one of my favorite directors. Um, okay. And I watched the movie last year, and it, it's really dated. I mean, it's I want wow. to say horribly dated, but it's just, it's very much of its time. But it's still a movie. I mean, all the acting is great. Brian De Palma's directing is, is perfect. So I really like the movie, but I also really want to talk about the book. Okay. Um, I started reading at a really young age. I was reading Stephen King by the time I was 11 and 12 years old. And I read oh, Carrie. we are separated at birth. I think I was in seventh or eighth grade. But I read Carrie back then and hadn't read it since. And actually, last year, I downloaded an audio book, uh-huh. the book of Carrie. And it was read by Sissy Spacek. So that's <gasps> pretty cool. And I was kind of surprised that the movie stayed really close to the book, but there are two major differences that I liked in the book. And one of the major, the first one was the ending of the book. Um, in the movie, Carrie destroys, you know, goes bug shit in prom, and that's about it. Mm. In the book, she destroys the entire town, and the prom's just the beginning. Then she walks out, and she starts going through the town and just destroys it, kills yes. people, and by the time she's done, the town's gone. So that was the one major difference. And also, the second thing that I thought was really interesting was the format of the book. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's like the movie. It has, this, you know, the this, this standard story, but then intercut in it every so often, they... Stephen King puts in um, di- um, like transcripts of things that have happened after the fact, mm-hmm. after Carrie goes crazy a year later, and the yeah, world seems the to realize that telekinesis exists, and there are Senate hearings over it, and people who survived write books, and there are documentaries, all this stuff, and he puts clips of it throughout the book, and he puts it right in the middle of the story, so you're reading something, and then it cuts off, and it goes to a transcript from a Senate hearing, and then it cuts it off in mid-sentence, mm. and goes back to the book, and I thought that was really interesting, and in he used it in a clever way. He does a lot of foreshadowing for what happens, and a lot of that's done through hearing what happens in the future. You know, you find that the town's basically all but dead. Carrie yeah. killed the town. It's <laughs> it's dried up, and that, that was really interesting. And I was thinking that if anything deserves to a remake, Carrie would actually be an interesting remake. I mean, it's yes. still it's already been done. Still holds true, especially now with with um, bullying and then with the crazy batshit religious people. It would really make sense, you know, to do another version of it so that this generation could relate to it. Because, I mean, that does relate to something in the 70s that looks really 70s. And you could even put those little snippets of 
what happens in the future and all the, all the media into it. So that would be an interesting take to it. So I'm Carrie doesn't need to be remade, but I could see a remake making sense, especially if you mm-hmm. widen the scope of the finale to where Carrie destroys the town. And then throughout the, the movie, just like in the book, just put in documentaries, interviews, you know, faux news reports of what's happened afterwards. Um, but yeah, Carrie, it's a great book and it just shows how a lot of these themes transcend their, transcend their time and their, it's just as relevant now as it was back then. Yes. So, Carrie, yeah. I like it. I'm interested to hear what everyone else says about it. Talk to you later. Bye. Oh, Trey, you continue to be my separated brother at birth. How does this happen? I, too, was reading at, at a really young age. I was actually reading young adult novels by the time I had Kid in the Garden. But that's mostly because I had, you know, my brothers and sisters were so much older than me. I always had people reading to me, and I guess I just picked it up. Or I'm just that fucking smart. Yeah, and so like I said in my conversation with Owen, I had read this book when I was way too young uh, the first time. And I haven't read it in a long time. And now that I heard you talking about it and Owen talking about it, I do want to take another look at it. Um, What I found interesting in your call, if I could just pick on one thing. And it's not, this isn't you, but I always find it interesting that people are like, oh my god, that's so, this movie from the 70s, it's so 70s, it's so dated. Or they say it for the 80s or whatever. I never hear people like watching some old movie from the 40s like the Maltese Falcon going, oh my god, it's so 1940s, it's so dated. Oh my god, listen to the music, listen to that scoring, uh, soaring orchestra, it's so dated. Oh my god, look at how black and white everybody is. Ew, so dated. I'm like, what, it's, what, I, what is it supposed to be? That's when it was made. It is what it is. And hopefully its messages will transcend time. If it's a good story, it will. When you got a problem with short shorts and feathered hair, you bitch? Yeah, I didn't think so. Anyway. <laughs> I also wanted to apologize, Trey, because when you called last time, I was eating Thai food while answering your call, and I thought the mic wouldn't pick it up, and it totally did, and it just sounded absolutely disgusting. Probably nobody noticed, but when I played it back, I was like, oh, God, what does it sound like I'm doing? Ew. Well, what can I say? I can't get my noodle out of my mouth when I'm talking to you. Ah! I'm hilarious and yeah the big difference in the book as we've i've already discussed on the show is that um she does destroy the entire town but actually trey you just maybe go look this up but uh according to stephen king in an interview that he did with i don't know somebody yeah i don't know somebody but they asked that question and he said that it was supposed to be in the film it was in the script but uh it was not cost effective the uh, special effects as they were available at the time were way too expensive for the budget so there you go Excuse you, horn outside. No, I don't know what just put this into my head, but when I was talking about this episode with Branford, and I was just and he was asking me what I liked about the book, I said what I said to Owen. I said it always kind of reminded me of some Greek tragedy, just the way these wheels of fate are just always inevitably always grinding forward one little tiny turn of the screw at a time. There's about uh, you know ten or fifteen points where the story could stop here. You know, it could go either direction right here, and it never goes in the direction it needs to stop because it can't stop. And I, it always appealed to me. It's this inevitable process, and you're just constantly getting closer, and it's polar emotions going on and these, like, really over-the-top characters. But he said, yeah, but, you know, I like in Greek's tragedy, there isn't, like, that deus ex machina that comes in at the end. The gods just don't come in and just either save the day or ruin everything. And I looked at him, and I said, are you out of your fucking mind? The gods come down and blow the shit out of everybody. They're like, fuck all this. (laughs) We're taking everybody out. It's like Noah and the fucking flood. Fuck all y'all. We're just rinsing this whole town clean. Get the hell out. Get off off the map. 
I have spoken. Meh. I don't know if you realize it already. Carrie already was remade. It was remade for TV with Angela Bettis, and I don't remember if they destroyed the town in it or not, uh, because the movie overall is memorable. And I found out from Owen that uh, it was possibly going to be a TV series because Carrie and Sue run away at the end. You know, Carrie cuts her hair and they have to go under the co- go undercover, and they're going to go from town to town in search of her father. Can you believe it didn't get picked up? I know, right? Although we love Angela Bettis, but you know, no. I agree with what you say. Like another remake of the movie, and like putting it in the wide scope, and seeing how it affected the world afterwards is interesting. But I also wonder how it's going to dissolve the human nature of the story, because ultimately it is the story of a girl, and you know, this discovery of herself, and you know, this weird kind of Greek tragedy thing that happens. And when you make it bigger than that in a movie. I think it might get dis- diluted too much, it, unless in, unless it's a miniseries or I don't I don't know I don't know I don't know I don't know. Um, we'll try to address it in the found footage version that Ron and I are going to make someday. Anyway, uh, what else was I going to say? Um, I'm just going to sit here and hum for a while. I don't know what else I have to say except Trey. I always love it when you call. And I'm also anxious to hear what everybody else has to say about Carrie because you're the only one who called about Carrie. It's not like I didn't promote this enough. It's not like I didn't tease shit every day. But you're the only one who stepped forward. Did you ever know that you're my hero? You're everything I would like to be. I could fly higher than an eagle. Because I am hung down to my knee. Did I just say that on the the air? I did. Oh, my God. That was filthy. And when I'm getting that raunchy, it is time to wrap this puppy up for another week. Thank you, Trey. You broke the machine again. Okay, so as always, if you want to be like all these awesome people who got in touch with me, you can give me a call at 347-767-3509, or you can write me at crew at screamqueens.com, and as always, that's queens with a... what class? No, that's not right. No. That's just stupid. Z, that's correct. You're a little slow today. That's okay, so am I. You can like me on Facebook, you can follow me on Twitter, you can join in the conversations in the forums and meet the other screamers over at palaver.com. That's P-A-L-A-V-R.com. Last week, uh, the week of the 19th, was Podcast Appreciation Week. And it's just a time for listeners you know, to give back a little love that you know we the podcasters are putting out there for you. You know, every week, every two weeks, in my case, or whatever that may be. And what exactly does that mean? Well, you can just write me a little note and say, Hey, Patrick, you're doing a great job. Or you can give me a voicemail. I love getting voicemails from all of you. Yes, all of you, Zombart. You can recommend the show to a friend. You can buy yourself the official Scream Queens t-shirt over on the webpage. Or you can head on over to the iTunes store and just leave me a review. Because that helps the show's popularity and maybe get me on the front of the, um, you know, the iTunes store podcast page. And if you're really generous, head on over to the webpage, www.screamqueens.com. Hit the donate button in the right-hand corner and donation to the show. And the donations help to cover the bandwidth costs and things like that to help keep the show going. Because uh, podcasting, while it's fun, it ain't free. I have no idea what's coming up in the next couple of weeks on the show. Although I have, uh, I've been talking to people coming on, uh, several people actually, to help guest host. Since y'all seem to like that, meeting my friends and all that cool stuff. So I'll uh, look forward to more of that. 
This episode has been so big, I haven't really looked past it. So forgive my short-sightedness and suck it up. Although now that I think of it, I do have a couple of listeners out there that I want to put up against the wall. For the firing squad, you pigs. You know, those of you who were silly enough to make a recommendation for me to watch. Yeah, I got your numbers out there. And I'm looking at you, Jay Emmett, and you, Sean, from the More Horror Than Horror podcast. So, you know, smoke your last cigarettes, say goodbye to your loved ones, because you might not be coming back next time. Okay, you know what? I think that's it. So, until next time, kids, as always, continue to make the world a creepier place. And remember, as my grandmama used to say, Oh, I remember my prom night. It was magical. And all of a sudden, I spontaneously gave birth to your mama right there in the middle of the foxtrot, and things get a little foggy after that. Bye! Some of the music for tonight's program has been provided by Mavio's Music Service. Check them out at music.mavio.com. Bitches! isn't over yet. This is the Easter egg portion of the program. Now, my friend Owen was the lyricist on this musical version of Dracula, in which I was in the stage reading of, well, twice now, um, over the years, and I think it's excellent. You know, this other version got to Broadway, and it bombed. It closed in like a week, and it's the reason why nobody will touch this version. Nobody's ever touching a vampire musical ever again in New York City, and that's kind of tragic, because you're going to... The whole world's missing out on music like this. Now, I'm going to play you a little excerpt. And this is the song that Dracula's three brides are singing as they're circling Jonathan's bed in the middle of the night, seducing him with their luscious lips and pointy teeth. And uh, if you got headphones, put them on. This song's a little better with that because it has this interesting swirling effect in the vocals. Uh, it's not the best recording. It's kind of scratchy. Regardless... Of that, I think you'll enjoy it. And if you don't, fuck off. This is bonus material. So, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, the song's called Kisses. Music by Jay Gaither. Lyrics by Owen Robertson.
Thank you.